Hours. For during first service, we did uh, we honored a couple of our graduates, uh, Kayla Godfrey and Duncan McCoy. So if you know them, um, just to maybe when you see them at church here, then over the next couple weeks, or drop them a card in the mail and just just congratulate them on that. I know uh, the two of them, Duncan and Kayla, have been big part of our ministry around here at our church. Uh, Kayla works in the nursery, but she also does a lot of other things. And Duncan has just been really good at helping out in the Praise Cafe and helping his, his grandpa, you know, fix things around here, change the light bulb and stuff like that. So if you know those two, or just make sure you congratulate them and, and let them know how proud we are of them. They're going to be going to Nyack for the next couple of years, so we'll get, to, we'll get to hang on to them for a couple more years before they, they take off and go somewhere else. One thing that really resonated with me during worship is a song that starts out, How Wonderful, How Wonderful is Your Unfailing Love. Could not be a better song lyric for what I'm about to preach about, I guess. Because the simple fact is that God loves us. It's, sometimes we think it's so rudimentary, you hear it over and again and again, and people maybe use that as a, a cliche, so to speak. But God loves you. And until you can go and start singing and having those, the rest of the, the songs resonate in your, in your heart, and, and form that relationship, uh, maybe even with God through a relationship with Jesus Christ, you need to know how much he loves you. It's a simple fact that God loves you. No matter where you are, where you've been through, the ringer in life, maybe you're on the biggest high of all highs or low of all lows, it's because you can continue to keep moving forward because of the love of God for you. And you can pull yourself away or out of situations maybe that are detrimental because of how much God loves you. That is the common denominator. I don't want to call it the least common denominator because the love of God, is there's nothing least about it. It's the greatest common denominator. And it starts from the love of God towards each and every one of us that allows us to receive from God, to hear from God, and to move forward in our lives. So if you're struggling in your life, with love because you maybe feel unloved from someone else or you've never felt love. You need to get around people that are be able to help you out and tell you, show you in the Bible where God says that you're his beloved and how much he loves you. And from that, from that knowledge of how much God loves you, then you can receive the message of the gospel. That's what Jesus came for. We see that in communion that we're going to celebrate today on the first of the month here corporately up here is the love of God. That's what it is. God said in John 3.16 that he loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And whoever believes in him is going to have everlasting life. How many people know that scripture? That's the simplest scripture. I think everybody's been taught that. But do we really understand it? Do we read the scripture and put it down and move on to the next phase of our day? God loves us. And when we celebrate communion today, it's just a reminder of how much he loves us, what he's already done for that. We'll talk a little bit about it. What I'm going to talk about today is, uh, is a lot in Romans. Romans 7, Romans 6, Romans 8, things like that. It's about living in a new covenant with Jesus Christ. 2,000 or 6,000 years ago, you know, when, when Moses and, and all these guys were on earth, they weren't under a law. It wasn't until 2,000 years after that where God presented the Jews with the law. And then Jesus came to usher in the new covenant 
And that's where we live under now. You can call it the law of grace, the covenant of grace, whatever you want to call it. But there was a 2,000 section of time there where the, that God gave the Jewish people the commandments, the law. It was never meant for the Gentiles. The Jewish people said, we can't live without some rules. And, and God said, I'll give you some rules. See if you can live by these rules. And all that ever happened to them in their life was they kept seeing themselves falling short in that. Pastor Jeff preached one time about there was over 600 laws that the Jewish people had to follow. And you couldn't keep hardly any of them. And what it says about the Ten Commandments, which are holy, were given to us by God, it says if you, if you mess up on one of them, you've messed up on all of them. Right? You're in trouble. That's what it says. And the only way that we can be free from that, that, that bondage and that barrier that, that we feel like we're never good enough, that we're always messing up, is to realize how much God loves us. And then when we get in that relationship with God through Jesus Christ, it, just, it can start to, to manifest in our lives. See, Jesus did many great things. He taught many great things, too. He did many great things, and he taught many great things. We know that. We've known that our whole life. And through his death and resurrection, he moved our sins and gave us freedom. That's what he did. It's one of the things. And he also gave us the opportunity to get back into right relationship with God. See, Adam blew it. First guy on earth, him and his wife, they blew it. And from then, we, were, there was, we weren't in right relationship with God. And for all these years, people tried to, to get in right relationship with God, and they couldn't get in, back into right relationship with God until one thing, until Jesus came and died and rose again and gave us the opportunity to get back into a relationship with him. I grew up in a denominational church, and the only way that I could go to God, I was told, was if I went to a person and, and poured my heart out to this person, and that person would take that, and they would go to God, and they would say, and that's how it worked. I'm, and I've come to realize that there's nothing in the Bible that says that in our New Testament covenant with Jesus Christ. It says we can go directly to God because we have God living on the inside of us for the person of the Holy Spirit. That's a whole new revelation for maybe for some of you here today, that we can go directly to God. We can say, Father God, this is who I am. This is who I want to be. We can say whatever we want to him. And he's always going to come at you with love. It's never a time where he says, you know, like the, I read an article in the paper where the Supreme Court is waiting until June to come up with their, their, uh, their answers to some of the things they've been, they've been debating. You know, it's not like that with God. Wait till June. I'll get back to you and see how you're doing. God never does that. He just loves you. And you're like the only one on earth, too, to him at times. And that's an amazing thing that you are in him, and you and her, whoever you are, you're in a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. It's a personal relationship. That's why maybe some people have ever asked you growing up in life, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And maybe you thought, well, what is that? Well, what it is is that you and him are personally in a relationship. It means as simply as it says. As a Christian, you can go directly to God because of your relationship. And it's all be done because of what what Jesus did for us on the cross. See, the Bible was written to you and me, all with a purpose, and that purpose was pointing us to Jesus. The Old Testament points to him. The Gospels reveal him, right? The Word was made flesh, and he dwelt among us. Jesus came to earth. So he was revealed to us in those Gospels. And then the New Testament writers, Paul and the other guys, they point us back to Jesus. And they do that to ensure us 
that we can live in that new covenant. That's what Paul does. He just, he just says, every time you hear him say, he's like, brothers and sisters. You know, in Galatians, he says, you foolish Galatians, who's tricked you? Who's bewitched you? He says in one verse of it, he says, you stupid Galatians, who has tricked you? And what he's saying to him is like, you've got this message of Christ. You've seen, some of you people have seen him crucified and rose again. And, and other people were here to listen to you. He says, why are you listening to any other, other teaching? It's all about Jesus. And that's the great thing is what Paul is saying. And I'll, I'll use Paul mostly is that he points us back to Christ. And that's all he does. He doesn't point us anywhere else. He points us back to Jesus and the finished work of the cross. See, the proper way to look at Paul's letters is to regard them as the continuation of Christ's own teaching. Think about that. I got this from the, from the book, Paul's System of Truth by Mark Hankin, a pastor that Cassie and I know. He also said they contained the thoughts that, carried away, that were carried away from the world unspoken. Christ's thoughts. See, Christ, whatever Christ didn't give to us, you know, Paul picked up and, and ran with it. Think about that. When you read the New Testament, it's all about these guys filled with the Holy Spirit and going out and preaching the word with boldness. They weren't preaching a word. They were preaching the word. And like we said earlier, Jesus was the word, and he came in the flesh, and he dwelt among us. And it all comes back to that, that song, Wonderful, Wonderful is Your Unfailing Love. So every time you go to tackle something or you try to hear something here today, just remember, it's because of his unfailing love that you can receive and move forward. To me, it's a revelation in my, in, my, in my heart years ago, 10 years ago. And it's a revelation in my heart every day when I fail or I mess up or, or do something that because of God's unfailing love for me that I can continue to go on. And it's not painstaking or tiresome or burdensome. It's freeing because I know how much you love me. First, 2 Timothy 1.13 says, Hold fast that form of sound words which you have heard of me in faith and in love which is in Jesus Christ. Paul is saying hang on to those words. Hang on to the words that I'm speaking but in reality hang on to the words that Jesus has already spoke. And the word hold fast basically is the word echo and it means to guard or protect, to keep watch over, to keep guard. Paul is saying guard those words, protect them. This is the same thing that Jesus taught in his parable of the sower. If you remember that, uh, in the parable of the sower of the seed. And, and Jeff preached on that not too long ago. He said, the devil comes to steal away the word that has been sown into your heart. And he says, therefore, you must hold fast to the truth that God has given you in his word. Paul's saying, protect it. Watch over those words. Paul was saying that the doctrine he shared with Timothy at this time should be a pattern to be imitated. How many people here, as you go to work or you go to school or you go wherever, that someone is trying to have you imitate a pattern that the world says is the way to do it. Timothy, or Paul is reminding Timothy, imitate Jesus. Imitate the words that I've already spoken to you. He says, if you can imitate those, life's going to be easier, he says. You're going to have your bumps, your trials, your tribulations. We, we all want to focus sometimes that that's when something goes wrong in our life, we always say, but the word says you'll have trials and tribulations. Okay. But let's not focus on the trials and tribulations. Let's focus on the finished work of the cross that Jesus has already done for us. Let's focus on the words that Paul has already preached to us to point us back to the finished work of the cross. That's, when you get that revelation, when you get that understanding of his unfailing love, you can understand that. 
And if you've never been loved before, you don't feel like you've been loved, God loves you. Jesus loves you. The old standard that they stand on the corner and, and say, Jesus loves you. Well, he, I'm here to tell you today, that's the truth. There's no other truth to me besides that than everything else is going to have to work its way from that point. The greatest denominator, greatest common denominator is, is Jesus' love for us. Mark 12 through 30 says, And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. This was just Jesus preaching from Leviticus 19. He says, No other commandment is greater than these. So Jesus boiled all the commandments that people have been trying to keep over the years down to two. But if you realize, if you're like me, you find out sometimes it's impossible or it is impossible to love God with all your heart, all your strength, and all your soul when you, don't, when you realize or you don't realize how much he loves you. And you see that in John 13, uh, 34. Jesus gives us a new commandment. So here I'm setting the stage for you. We're given the Ten Commandments to follow all these rules. Then Jesus comes and says, no, I'm going to boil the Ten Commandments down to, do, to these two commandments. So he's setting the stage for these guys. And he says, love God and love others like you love yourself. And then he gives us this new and great commandment. He says this in John 13, 34. A new commandment, he even spells it out for you, I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. See, there's that unfailing love. People couldn't keep the Ten Commandments. They blew it. They, they lived in shame and guilt. And, and the Ten Commandments and, and the law, which was holy and mighty, it was given to us by God. It was, it, was, it was a good and pure thing. It was from God. But you couldn't keep them. You would fail at it all the time. So God tells the disciples, he says, love God as you love yourself. Now sometimes if we sit here today, we're like, huh, I don't, if that person's loving God like they love their self, I don't know if I want that kind of love. You know, we struggle as people, right? So then Jesus says to him in John 13, 34, he says, love others as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So he sandwiches that right in the middle. Love one another, which is what we're supposed to do. That's a command. We're supposed to love other people. The only way you can do it, Jesus says, is love them as I have loved you, and then you can love one another. That's the new commandment. That's, that's fulfilled all the other commandments in in the Bible. If you can grasp that and hang on to that, then you're not going to go out there and covet someone's wife or commit adultery or do these things. When you realize how much God loves you, your love for others is going to grow. And then those other things aren't going to matter. We're not breaking them down into do's, don'ts, don'ts, don'ts. We're breaking them down into something that's already been done, done, done. And that's the, what Jesus already done for us. That's the love of God. See, it says in Romans 8, 10, uh, 13, 8, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there are any other commandment, he says they are all summed up in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And how do we love ourselves? We, re- we need to realize how much God loves us. Then when we love ourselves, we can go out and love others. It's pretty hard to do something that you can't do. Does that make sense? You can't Go out and try to love other people if you don't have any love for yourself, that you don't realize how much God loves you. That's the thing that's really been working on me. You know, sometimes we get into it, we're like, we're going to go minister to somebody, and, and you need to realize how much you're loved before you can share God's love. You can't go out and share something. You can't go uh, into the hospital and do open-heart surgery just because you feel like, you know, 
I'm going to go do open heart surgery. You have to know how to do open heart surgery. You have to know all these things. You have to be, you have to be skilled in that. You have to have that as a, your practice or whatever. So you just can't go do something because you don't know how to do it. You might know how to cut into somebody, but when you get in there, you're certainly not going to fix their heart. So God is saying, you, you go out and love other people as I have loved you. That's an amazing thing for me when I, when I hear that. So they're all summed up in this one commandment, he says. Love others as you love yourself. And he says in John 13, 34, how do you love others? You love them the way I loved you. That's an amazing thing. So when you get that revelation of God's love for you, then you can go out and love others, but you've got to love yourself first. 1 John 4, 18 says, Such love has no fear because perfect love expels or casts out all fear. What is perfect love? Is it because I got it all figured out right? No, perfect love is only one perfect love. The only perfect person was Jesus, and that's the perfect love. It's from God. God's perfect love. Verse 19 says we love because he first loved us. There's a confirmation for me there in another scripture of that commandment to love others as Jesus loves us. Hebrews 8.13 says when God speaks of a new covenant, it means uh, he's made the first one obsolete. It means it's out of date. So when Jesus came for a purpose, he came to set us free. Is that what we believe? We've been free through Christ. We've been free from the, from the old law, and we've been given the new law to love others as Christ has loved us. So following the same reasoning, I think I'll skip that part because I know I don't want to get stuck here. The New Testament law of love controls people's actions from the inside out. Think about that. When you get born again, you get the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, right? And that's where we love from, the inside. It pours out of you the Holy Spirit. It's the Old Testament laws that controlled people's actions from the outside. Don't do this. Don't do that. See, many times, maybe if you've heard from someone else, or maybe you've tried to tell somebody that you need to do all these things before you get cleaned up and get ready to come to church. And once you get right with God, then I think you're ready for a relationship with them. You're never going to get there. You come as you are. Right? I've, I've used this analogy before. Like, you see some guy selling used cars, and he's like, he says, we'll trade in anything. Push, pull, or drag your old car into here, and we'll take it. And we'll give you a top dollar for it. That's what God is telling us here in the world. He says, push, pull, or drag your old self in here, and I'll give you something brand new. Top dollar for you. That's the message of Jesus Christ. Just come on in. And then the word is going to fix you up. No, one person is going to fix you. Not yourself. It's just the person of Jesus Christ that's going to fix us. And that's what I love about it, because when I first started coming to church here, I needed fixing spiritually. I wasn't a bad person. I was, good. I was a pretty good guy. But on the inside, I needed some serious fixing. I needed something new. And when I came, I wasn't told at the door, you need to wait until you get to this level before you can come receive here at Praise Community Church. He said, welcome. How are you? My name's Christy Tass. <laughs> you know, I remember that. Or Steve Tass. Or Jeannie Haas, welcome. And I came in, and I had barriers built up, and I had a hardened heart towards God, and it was because through the word and the love of other people that softened my heart, and then I could receive. So that's what you need to remember. We come here, or we go to church to receive. And when people come in here, we're in all shapes and sizes and stages of our lives. But the one thing that's constant, the only thing that's constant, is God's love for each and every one of us. His will is for all of us to be saved. Contrary to maybe what some people think or believe, His will is for all to be saved. 
And the only place you're going to understand what saved means and understand the love of God is to be in a situation where people are speaking that to you. So Jesus says, I have loved you, is huge. It is. Jesus loved like no other man had ever loved before. Think about that. God said, Jesus says to you, you can love others as I have loved you. He loves you. And no man has ever loved like Jesus. Not on earth and not now in heaven. It's amazing. It's just amazing when I think about it. It's incredible. Like I talked on Wednesday night about not talking about saying things are unbelievable because they're believable. It's a believable thing. It's a, it's a, it's a great and mighty thing. It's, it's so unique in the world that people would try to tell you that you have to line your way up do all these great things before you get in the good graces of God, and then he'll work with you. No. God's done miracles in my life, and I haven't been a Christian for very long. I haven't. You think about it, and I, I'm 46 years old. I haven't been a Christian for roughly 10 years. So for 36 years, he did, he, he did amazing things in my life for me that I can go back and list. Things where I should probably not even be here. I feel like the hand of God was upon me in certain situations. The big scar I have on my head is one of them. Working for Heartland Asphalt, asphalt, driving a broom down the highway, and I rolled it into the ditch on my third anniversary. And the canopy came crashing down, and as I was heading into the ditch, I screamed out, God, don't paralyze me. Okay? This is a guy that really didn't, didn't really have a, I didn't have a relationship with God. I didn't really believe, I believed in him out there, but I didn't know anything about him. Now, when I, I, I realize now, 10 years into my walk with Christ, that God doesn't paralyze people. But in my ignorance at the time, that's what came out of my mouth. I walked away with a little cut on my head, 22 staples, didn't even hardly bleed. It was amazing. People were driving there, they thought I was dead. And so, I heard those words, I said those words to God, I believe in my heart that, that, God, that God helped me through that. But you know what I did after work? I just went back and said, Went back to doing my same old, same old, you know. I don't think God looked at me and said, well, I gave him his one chance. You know, that's it for Mark. You blew it. No way. It took me years down the road to figure it out. But you know what? I figured it out in a place where, where people loved on me and showed me how much God loves me. See, the Old Testament law uh, of our neighbor, excuse me, the Old Testament law of loving our neighbor as we love ourselves is what Jesus spoke of there, what I, what I said earlier. You see it in Leviticus. You see he preaches it in Mark 12 and in Mark 22, Matthew 22, Romans 13, Galatians 5, James 2. He says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Those, that's a good command. But you've got to remember, it starts with John 13, 34, where he says, love your neighbor as I have loved you. So when you find out and realize how much God loves you, then we can move forward. So that's the new and mighty commandment that Jesus has given us. Jesus had previously stated all the laws and the prophets were dependent on loving God first and then loving your neighbor. That's what the Old Testament talks about. You have to do all these things. You have to love God first. And what this, that song we sang says about your unfailing love, that was the first line of the song. And from there, then we can go forward. So this commandment was not new in the sense to love others as you loved yourself. It wasn't. It was something old that Jesus would always bring in something from the, from the Bible that he knew. He would bring something in there, he'd get their attention, and then he would give them something new to set them free. And they had the choice, didn't they? The Pharisees, the religious leaders, they had a choice to receive from Jesus. 
And they didn't, most of them. And just like you and me here today, we have a choice to receive from the word of God. We have a choice to believe that God loves us, that God sent his son to be raised from the dead to set me free. We have a choice to believe that. Some people don't believe that. And some people who have believed that have walked away from God or gotten away. Maybe they feel like I've gone too far, that, that God can't reach me in my place. I'm here to tell you that's not true. He can reach you wherever you're at. God can reach anybody. If God can reach me, he can reach anybody. If God can reach you out there, some of you people, and you know the, that how much God has done in your life, he can reach anybody. And it's because of his unfailing love. And it was through Jesus' sacrifice that freed us from worry of having to obey rules and regulations and things like that. Jesus cancels the first system. Think about this. He canceled the first system for a better one. That's what he says. He's taking all these laws and all these rules that have been handed down throughout the years, and he says, love me and love others as I have loved you. And he says, if you can get that revelation, everything else is going to line up perfectly. And he sent his son to die for us to guarantee that. God says, I've loved you so much, look what I'm going to do for you. Look what I'm going to do for you. And I'm only going to do it one time. I'm not going to do it again. So if you're not born again or you don't have a relationship with God, the next time Jesus shows up, it's going to be too late for you. You need to get in a relationship with him now. The Apostle Paul was the best religious Jew of all time. Think about that. He was the best. He even claimed it. He even preached on that one of his letters. He said, I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, I am the best of the best Jew. I'm the most religious, pharisaical man here. But look what God has done in my life. He's totally done a 180 in my heart. Some people get uptight, you know, about things like that. They think that we have to get to a, a certain spot, but and I don't believe that. See, each time you sin, though, if you're under the old law, each time you sin, if you were trying to keep the old law and you didn't want to have a relationship with Jesus right now, you'd have to bring something to church every Sunday and we'd sacrifice it up here. And then we could start church because you'd be right with God again. Think about that. Bringing all our animals up here today and just chopping them away. I don't know, for some of you, that sounds, you know, you do that when you, when you take your deer and do all these things, but that's, we're talking something different. My point being is a lot of people get up tight because we have coffee in the church and there's a, there's a stain on the carpet. Well, just think, imagine what it would look like up here if we had to sacrifice animals every Sunday. Be a, it would be a mess. And God's saying, look at. I've, I've already done one sacrifice once and for all. See, the law today is a tool for unbelievers when you think about it. You ever seen The, the Way of the Master with Kurt Cameron and uh, I forget his friend's name. Anyone, anyone know what it is? What's his name? Ray Comfort. So it's The Way of the Master, right? It's Kurt Cameron and Ray Comfort. And they go out, and a lot of times they're in bars and places where they're running into a lot of people who are unbelievers who are lost. And they preach to them, they say, have you ever done this? Have you ever done that? And people say, yeah. So pretty much they tell them, they say, well, you've broken the laws of God. And, and they're like, well, I guess I have. And so, but they just don't stop there and move on to the next person. Their ministry is to show people that they need a Savior. This is what they're doing. They tell you that, hey, as an unbeliever, you've broken these laws. Well, I can help you. I'll give you a new way out. And they point them to Jesus Christ. So that is what, in our day and age, those Ten Commandments, those laws, those 620 commandments are to show us the simple fact that we cannot keep them and we need a Savior. And that's why it's important for us not to just pitch them on the wayside because we can use them to bring people to Christ. 
We tell them, this is what, you, you need help? Well, I got a way to help. I got the mighty helper, the great helper that can help you. And so we don't use them as a way to get through each and every day because we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But we can point ourselves, if you're, if you're not a believer, or you can point others to their mistakes. And everyone knows they're making mistakes. But they can say, you know what? I got a way out of this lifestyle. I got a way out of your misery, your pain. It's Jesus Christ. And that's what we do. We point people to Jesus. And that's what, how Jesus fulfilled the old law when you read it in Scripture. He fulfilled that by coming. He says, you guys, God says, you couldn't do it on your own. You couldn't do it with my laws. I'm going to give you a way to do it, and I'm going to send my son to die for you, Jesus. And that's what he's done. I'm probably all over the map, so if you're trying to follow your yellow sheet, you have to take it home and, and study it. So here's one thing I challenged the youth group kids on Wednesday night. This is what I challenged them with. As, as, they, as they head off into the summer, I said, as a Christian, you need to start something. I said, you need to add something to your life of God that you're not doing right now. Maybe a devotion. Maybe going to a summer camp with other Christians. I also told them to continue to do something. So whatever they're doing in their walk with God, a devotion, the morning prayer, you need to continue to do that. So I said, add something new of God. Continue all the things you're doing with God. And I then said to them, then stop something. And I put it in in that order for a reason. Because when they start something of God... Maybe it's a relationship with them. And they continue to do the things of God that they've already been doing. Then I said, you'll be able to get a revelation of something you need to remove in your life so that your relationship with God can move forward. That's the proper order. It's not, I didn't tell them, go stop a bunch of stuff. And when you finally got enough power on your own to stop doing something, then you can start adding things to God, the things of God in your life. And I, and I challenge all of us here today with that. Start something new today of God. Continue the things you've been doing of God. And then there's things in your life that you maybe have hung on to for a long time. They're going to melt away. And that's the order we do it. I like what it says in Hebrews 7.18. It says, and he's talking about the law here. For there is a disannulling of a foregoing commandment because of its weakness and, and unprofitableness. If you look up disannulling, if you type disannulling as I did on my scripture, a big red line comes underneath it. It means what? If, you have, if you're computer savvy, it needs a spelling check, right? Basically, I don't even think that word is a word except found in the American Standard Version of the Bible. And what annulled means, if you know what annulled means, like in, in the old Catholic uh, way, if you, you couldn't get divorced, but you could get your marriage annulled. So basically, it didn't happen. And I look around and see people who've had their marriages annulled, and they got two or three kids. And I'm like, okay, it didn't happen. Well, so they got something annulled. It didn't happen. What this scripture is saying about the old law, because Jesus has came to fulfill it, he says it's been disannulled. It says it's been removed. It's been removed. It's no longer there. It's no longer there. It's it's overkill. It's redundant. Redundant. You know, see what I'm saying? So I love it in the scripture when they, when they put something in there that, that really states the point. And that's what he's saying. Because Jesus came to fulfill the law, and the law is now, we are under the law of grace and love and mercy. He says, I've disannulled you from that old one. Because of Jesus and our relationship with him, we now follow the new covenant of grace so that the old system of law that hung over our heads, that brought us shame and guilt, 
and magnified our sin as it never was. That's what he's saying. It's still there on paper, but our relationship with God is not through that anymore. It's through our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we live in a new and better system ordained by God, and it's sealed by the blood of Christ. Today when we, today when we do communion, you're coming up for that very reason. You're coming up to say, thank you, Father God, that you have paid it all. And to all to him I owe. That sin that left Mars on our life, he, he washed away. I love that song. That, that, that song is, you could preach on that song, that, those four lines for months and just expand on it. The new and better system was sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. <laughs> so here's the thing. If you're trying to, to follow all the great things that Jesus did and all the promises uh, that Paul has told us in the, New Te- in, the, in the New Testament, but you're still trying to do all these things to get lined up with God, so you're, you're basically in two covenants. We're in a new covenant now with Jesus Christ, but there's the old covenant that, that the, the Jews had with, with God before. And some of us, growing up in religious backgrounds, have always been trying to keep this one and then trying to have a relationship with Jesus. And it doesn't work. You need to step out of this one and come into this one. So the analogy I came up with is that if you came to church today and you have two cars in your family, let's say it's, it's Jeannie came here early to church today to do worship service, and she has two cars, and she decides she's going to take both of them to work, both of them to church. So she drives the first one 100 feet, gets out, runs back, gets the second one, drives it 200 feet, runs back, drives the next one 100 feet, and she does this with two cars the whole way to church. How exhausting and silly is that, Jeannie? You shouldn't do that, right? That is, if you, can, if you can add it to trying to drive the old covenant what's already been taken care of by Jesus down the road, and then you're trying to draw, drive the new covenant of Jesus Christ that we have down the road side by side, you're going to get exhausted. You're going to wear out. But Jesus is saying, God's saying, leave that one behind. Hop in this one and drive this new covenant, this new love covenant, this covenant of grace down the road. And forget the old one. You can't do both of them side by side. It doesn't work. And when you realize how much God loves you in this covenant and what he's done for you, you'll be able to keep all the things of the all those things had to say. You're not going to covet, murder, steal. Because you're going to be, because God loves you. And you're going to love other people. That's the way it is. And you look, everywhere that Paul says in the New Testament, you can sum it down to this. The old covenant that God had with the Jewish people has been fulfilled because of my death and resurrection. And that's where you need to live. We're looking forward. And we're not looking back to the old covenant. We can look back to the victories in Christ that we've already had, and we can use them to pull us along. But we always got to be focusing on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Chapter 7 of Romans. If you read Romans 7, I would encourage you to read it and 8. Chapter 7 of Romans basically tells us about our inability to live holy without God. You're holy. If you're a Christian, you're a holy person. There's nothing you can do anymore to make you any holier than you are now. You have right standing with God, and from that, God says, you are holy and righteous. That's what he says. Chapter 8 then shows us our victory through Jesus Christ. If you get a chance, read those. And then pretty soon you'll go back and read 6. And, in, and I would encourage reading them in the King James Bible and then finding some other Bibles to line it up. Because some, some versions uh, like to expand on it. 
and get some commentaries, and you can read about it. And you're, I'm telling you what, if, if this is new to you, you're going to be like, you're going to be blown away. You're going to be set free, I guarantee you. And that's the great thing, what Paul says. Paul doesn't reinvent the wheel. You know, what Paul does is he pumps up your tires, he, he, he realigns your car, and he sends you on your way. That's what Paul does for us. He doesn't reinvent anything. He just, he preaches Jesus. Just think about Paul as being a GPS system for you. How many people have a GPS in their car that talks to them? Or a Garmin, right? That talks to them. So when you're reading what Paul says in the, in the Bible, and you're going the wrong direction, you're going to hear this voice that says, immediately, turn 180 degrees and go in the other direction. That's it. The GPS. And if you continue to walk down the way that you wish, away from God, it would be nice if he would just keep saying, recalculating, recalculating a new route, you know? We went on a trip there the other day, and we, uh, Jeff, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Jason, and myself, we went to Illinois for a couple days, and we would pull off into a gas station, and I have GPS on my phone, and it basically says, you're going the wrong way. Turn, it keeps telling you, it keeps telling you to get back and which way to go. And that's the letters of Paul. Paul is not teaching us anything new. He's just saying, you've already been told the way, Go that way. Here's the words to keep you going that way. So when you read the book of Romans, you'll see Paul showing his vulnerability in chapter 7. He lays it out there for the people, but in chapter 8 he says, but I'm free in Christ and I'm not going back, is basically what he says. And this is how you can stay free. It's a new covenant of grace. I'm going to skip ahead here to uh, Romans 7, 1 through 4. And that'll be my last scripture. It says, now dear brothers and sisters, you who are familiar with the law don't know that the law applies only when a person is living. For example, when a woman marries, the law binds her to her husband as long as he is alive. But if he dies, the laws of marriage no longer apply to her. So Paul isn't talking, to, actually he's talking about the old law of marriage, but he's relating it to trying to live under the old covenant and not the, and not the new covenant of grace. So he goes on and four says, So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. That's what you did when you became born again. He says you're an old creature in 2 Corinthians. Old things have passed away. You are brand new, he says. And now you are united with the one who was raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of goods. That's what, that's what Paul is saying there. He says he's using the Old Testament marriage law, and he's telling us that about how, where we are now in our relationship with God. See, in the same way a marriage was intended back then, and I'll, I'll explain it here, was intended by God to be binding until death do us part. So bondage was to your wife, to your husband. That's what it was back in the Old Testament. If you were a man, you could divorce your woman any time. But as a woman, the only way you could get out of it is if your husband died. So if you were tied to some tyrant of a man or a mean man, you couldn't do anything. You know, we've heard people say uh, in the past, or in, maybe in, in passing or in, in someone you know, and they, the wife calls the husband their old man. You know, well, I got I to gotta run it by the old man before I can do that, you know. It's a, it's a slang, it's a term that someone might call their husband. Probably not the nicest of things, but that's basically what Paul is saying here. You're tied to the old man until he's dead. That's what he said. And so what, what, what Paul is saying, now here's the thing. Once you are dead, you are free to go and marry somebody else. And what, and what he's saying is, you are free to go marry Jesus. Once you've been dead to that old law, you are free to marry someone else. And I'll see, if you were married to two people at one time, 
you're an adulterer. That's what Paul's saying here, right? So if your husband, you can't get married back in the Old Testament if you're a woman unless your husband's dead. So if you got married again and your husband was still alive, they, they called you an adulterer. You had two husbands, kind of like driving two cars to church. He's saying you've been freed because of Jesus from that first marriage, and now you are free to marry Jesus. That's what it's saying. When I, re- when I read that, I was like, wow, really, it's just not talking about the law of marriage? You know, we get, we get fixated on that, that, oh, this is how, and we try to debate who can get married, who can get married, who can get divorced, who can get remarried. We, th- that's what we've debated out of that scripture, and Paul's not saying, saying no. He's saying, I'm going to use that to show you that because you've died to this old law, because you became a born-again Christian, you can now be married to Jesus, and that's your new thing. And he says, but you can't have two marriages going at the same time. You need to leave the one because it's dead, and you can move on into the new one. And when I got a revelation of that, I was like, wow, that makes perfect sense to me. See, we're all the wife in here, and if you look at what Paul's saying, that's who we are. We're all the wife, and we're all had a husband that died, and you look at him as being this old tyrant, mean old guy, and now we are free to be married to the new, to new man, Jesus. See, in the Old Testament, the law governing marriage, you were powerless as a wife. And as soon as the marriage relationship ceased at the husband's death, so you're free now to go do that. So I'm going to invite the worship team up because I have a couple things else I want to say and I didn't have a chance to finish. But my point being here today is if, if you're unfamiliar with which covenant you live in, I think that's on my sheet, we live in the new covenant of grace as Christians. When we confess Jesus as Lord of our life, and we believe that he raised God from the dead, we immediately were transformed into this covenant of grace through our relationship with Jesus Christ. And we will be able to move forward and love others as, as we love ourselves. We'll be able to, to, to fulfill all the laws that, that they tried to pin on the Jewish people because we'll be able to do it because of our relationship. And when we mess up on our, because we didn't hit it right that one day, we still have a right relationship with God. You can never do anything to get out of your right relationship with God. Not one thing. You can't. Because when you believe in your heart and speak it out of your mouth, you were born again. And you become a child of God. There's many people out here in the world, 7 billion people that God loves. But not everybody is a child of God. You have to join his family. You have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And when you do that, you become part of the family. And when you become part of the family, you can fulfill the law that Jesus said. You can receive how much God loves you. You can believe how much God loves you. And when you do that, then you'll be able to love yourself and you'll be able to love others. And when we do that, we're doing the great commandment. We're out there loving and we're doing the things that God has called us to do. Today we're going to do communion. And usually we, we, we do people that you can come up and help yourself. And we're going to do, uh, we're doing both sides, Jim? Okay. And here at Praise Community Church, we believe that as a Christian, that you are welcome to have communion, take communion. If you're not a believer, we believe that that's something that you need to, to, to work out between you and God and say, and, and confess that and, be, and become a Christian. But if you're a believer at any stage, if you're running from sin and you just left sin in the parking lot and you come into church and you're a believer, we feel it. And we know that God says you can come and receive from that today. And so as you come today, as you, as you take the bread and as you dip it in the juice and you partake of that, 
you're, you're reminding yourself that I live in this new covenant of grace. You, you remind God, uh, or you thank God that he's paid it all. And you thank him for setting you free. And it's because of the love of God and because of what he did for you that you have the ability to remain free. That's the thing. And if you feel like you've been put back into bondage or you've done some things in your life that have that tied you up again, you just come today as a Christian and you, and you just claim your freedom. You say, Father God, I thank you I'm free. Your surroundings, your situation might be total hell when you leave church here today. But you know what? You're free in Christ in your heart. And you come and you partake and you remind yourself that you are free, that you are his beloved. Amen?